Hello and welcome to episode one of the Giant Pod podcast with me, Andy Rintmore. This is a podcast uh, about curiosity, essentially. It's uh, me talking to interesting people from all walks of life, all different professions and passions and hobbies and uh, and everything in between, and just getting to the root of why they do what they do and what brought them to that place. And hopefully just having some really interesting, open um, and thought-provoking discussions and conversations along the way. My guest this week is Julian Rochefort, who was a military advisor on the epic masterpiece 1917. He's also worked on Catherine the Great, Vanity Fair, and has stories of being an extra on Monuments Men and Fury. We really get into the nitty-gritty of what life is like on set for these military epics. And uh, here it is. How are you doing? Yeah, very good. Thank you again. Thank you for coming at this hour. Mm-hmm. It's not particularly late, but it's banging uh, in Netflix in chill time, isn't uh, it? That's cool. So uh, tell us who you are and what, what you do. My name is Julian Rochefort, um, and I had the pleasure last year of spending nearly three and a half months working on 1917 uh, as um, an assistant military advisor. That's amazing. I was, I, yeah, and you've brought with you a, a ginormous. Is it? It's a tank it's a, shell or an it's artillery? It's a shell case, an artillery shell. Oh, it just looks scary. It looks like it's going to do some damage. But it's actually a prop. Right. It's not real. Okay. Um, we were presented. All the crew were presented one of these at the end of the film. Okay. Hence the plaque on it. Yeah. Um, and that's actually cardboard. The bottom is steel tubing. Yeah. That's with a cardboard end to make it look a shell, and then been aged, painted, and aged. That's all it is. <laughs> it's very cool. Yeah. I like it. So everyone got one. Yeah. And were they crew. were they used on the set as well? Or yeah, you know um, the scene where they come out of the trenches and you've got all those artillery pieces, German artillery pieces, yeah. shell casings. Okay. That's them. So uh, I'm just, I, I guess what we should say is that there are, there are going to be spoiler alerts. Yeah, of course. If you haven't seen it, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you yeah. worked on Fury as well, right? Yes, I was an extra on Fury many years ago. Ah. Uh. Blink, blink and you'll miss me, but I'm definitely there. <laughs> I was there. Yeah. So there are going to be spoiler alerts for the films that we're discussing yeah, this evening. Yeah, I'd so imagine so. If you haven't seen them and you want to see them uh, and you don't want them spoiled, you're going to have to click off this and, um, <laughs> and go and watch them first. Uh, okay, cool. So um, how do you end up in this situation? Let's, well, re- let's rewind into... Because this is part of the podcast, is I want to talk yeah. to people and figure out how they how they're doing what they're doing now why they're doing what they're doing now well well let's rewind back to 1987 when i left school at 16 um i joined um a, the army about four months as a junior soldier junior leader um after leaving school i'd have probably been in jail if i hadn't joined the army if i'm brutally honest oh really yeah yeah yeah, yeah. oh <laughs> see some people join the army to get away from a heartbreak yeah, um, uh, yeah. Oh right, was there a bit of that going yeah, on? Yeah, yeah, bit of that. Yeah, there's not. It wasn't pleasant at home. So the army was a good place for me, actually. You know, I did. I didn't do 22 years. I did nine years, and that, I got to my mid 20s, and that was enough. Right. Um, what was the What was the moment for you in the army when you went? You know, I'm done now. This is it. 
we've come to the um, end of the road? I think it was um, being told um, as somebody in their mid-twenties that, you know, you're having your room inspected every couple of weeks by some chinless wonder. And I was like, <laughs> really? You know? And I, I, and I was getting really into music at the time yeah. um, and ended up leaving the um, army to be a roadie for a band, but that's another story. Oh, <laughs> All right, no, no, we're, we're, we're going to get into that as well a little bit later. So I thought you were in the RAF. No, 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 I work with helicopters in the army. Oh, I see, that yeah. be where I got it. Because I've mm -hmm. seen pictures of you with your beret and your, yes. and your uniform on with um, helicopters and things like that. Yes. So, so what part of the army did you... Join? I was in the Army Air Corps. Ah. Okay, um, so you wear the sky blue beret with the eagle, cap badge and all that good stuff. I was ground crew. I wasn't flying. I was ground crew, so you did all the uh, ground to air communications. That's what I ended up specialising in. Um, yeah, so you're working in command post, either in the back of a Land Rover on exercise. And you do nine years of that. Yes, I did. And you loved it. Yeah, up until the last couple of years, I spent a lot of time abroad. Right. I was in um, Germany for three and a half years, two in Berlin, a couple of tours in Northern Ireland, UN tour of Cyprus. Um, Canada, America. So I did a lot of travelling. Right. I was chatting to a guy at House Party the other day. I was chatting to a guy that did uh, some um, time in the military and he was telling me about uh, they were in Canada on a prairie. Oh, yeah. And he was on a GPMG. Oh, I think yeah. it's a Jimpy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jimpy, a general purpose <laughs> machine gun, I think. And they give you a, a belt of 10 rounds. He said every two or three is a tracer, tracer. round. Yeah, which yeah, is yeah. A phos What's that, a phosphorus tip? Yeah, it, 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 it sends a tracer. You can see where you're actually pointing, pointing directing your uh, rounds. And he was just like, he said that you open up on this little lake. Yeah, yeah. And it, yeah, you just see this thing go straight off. Yeah, like maybe great. didn't make that sort that noise, but yeah. fly straight off, skim off the... Yeah, uh, yeah. He said he loved it. Yeah, great fun. And then they were talking about having to break off. Yeah. You know, if you had to get out of there or yeah. move the gun at a yeah. moment's notice, you have to break off the um, the belt. Yeah. Stuff like that. He yeah, loved move it. Move it along. Yeah, it's But he was fun. one of these guys, and I, and I know guys that have been in, in the military, and it never really quite leaves them. No. Like a lot of people leave a job, mm -hmm. and they don't, they don't continue talking about mm. Halifax or Lloyds Bank or Sainsbury's or some other branded uh, uh, job. Yeah. Um, for the rest of their life, but the mm. military's different. It's almost like yes. a way of life, isn't it? Yes. Um, I don't think anybody ever calls themselves civilian. You're always an ex-soldier. Yeah, is that, that, is that a state of mind? I think so. Is it because they've, they've, so they kind of break you down, don't they? Mm -hmm. And they build you... Like, so we were talking the other day, me and this chap, John, about they take away your individuality. Yes. Because they don't want anyone to be special or poking out from the from the troop, Correct. I guess, until yep. they choose the, you to be that guy. Mm, mm. It's very interesting. I get why they do it, yeah. but it's an interesting thing. So you're in the army, nine years. You realise, actually, I really like these seven-inch vinyls of Motown and <laughs> Northern Soul and funk yeah. and stuff. Um, that was happening while I was in as well. <laughs> you don't like some, like, rah-rah Rupert coming in and uh, checking out your bunk every uh, uh, no. two weeks. No. And you go, right, I'm off. What? Where'd you go then? What did you do? What did I do? Yeah. I left the army to become a roadie for the 60-foot dolls back in the mid-90s. <laughs> so I was the, um, the driver and head of the merch, and I did some drum teching and bass teching for the band. Um, and my mate, who was the tour manager, was away for a week or so, so I tour managed them as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, great, great times. I've done some touring myself, yeah. and um, you've gone from a world which is all about structure mm -hmm. and... Um, 
knowing three square meals, knowing where you are, what you're doing, when yeah. you're doing it, mm -hmm. to, is that what you needed? Oh, that's what, gotcha. Like a blowout? Yeah, definitely. I, I left the army on the Thursday lunchtime, pit the splitter van up on the Sunday. <laughs> Split a van. You just have to say split a van, and I'm like, just feel like I fill up with just joy and, and like, let's go. Yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly. Great. So it's a month's tour. Okay, and so so let's get into let's get into why you're here. It's because you're on movie sets, mm. do military uh, mm. advising. How do you land that that role? Okay, let's start where um, I. One thing I always wanted to do was be. I didn't want to be an actor. I just wanted to be an extra. So when I lived in um, Hertfordshire. Um, before I moved down here, so talking about 15 years when I moved to Hertfordshire, um, I joined a couple of extras agencies and started doing jobs. So in 2013, there was a, a, a roll call with a, one of the agencies I was with for a film called Fury coming up. And then wanted ex-military people for obvious reasons. Um, so... What happened, um, in fact, the year before I'd worked, I'd been on um, Duxford in Cambridgeshire for a few days doing um, Monuments Men as a, an American sergeant. Right. And I got chatting to this geezer um, who just left the parachute regiment. And um, he'd been in 24 years. Right. And he was doing private investigation and close protection work, like, like a lot of soldiers do when they leave. Um, just sounds like a bit of a badass. <laughs> He's a nice bloke, but right. yeah, yeah, he is, yeah. yeah. Um, they all are. They're all nice, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. They're yeah. all nice until you piss them off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, and I got chatting to him, and uh, with Fury, they wanted, um, they were doing like a, 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 a morning assessment boot camp, and I went along to it. I'd known him before, and he went, yeah, you're in. I did the, the, the drills that everybody else had to do, but yeah. he was marking people down and stuff. And they wanted 50 core people to represent um, Baker Company, which is what's in the film, right? Um, as core people. And 95% of those guys were ex-military. Uh, in fact, I keep in touch with quite a lot of them still now. Uh, and my mate Paul being one of them. Um, so what happened after that, um, I was doing my normal job. I did that for a couple of months on Fury. Uh, finished the production and uh, went along my merry way and did other jobs. Um, and then we moved down here in 2015, and I think it was about three years ago, always kept in touch with my mate Paul, and he went, I'm doing a, a job in um, Reading, glamorous place, but we're doing Vanity Fair, uh, which was on a couple of years ago on TV, right. uh, doing the Battle of Waterloo. Can you help me train a couple of hundred extras doing Napoleonic war drills, musket drills and stuff like that? I went, yeah, why not? So I did that for about two and a half weeks. And that was, I mean, there's some footage uh, online um, that you, I can send to you. But it looks great. We've got 200 guys. I've still got some footage um, uh, uh, on my phone somewhere um, of the training we did. So you've got 200 guys with no prior experience. Yeah. And then you're getting them to march in lines of 200. In step. It, it, uh, not so much step, but shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. Uh, and then you're getting them to traverse and wheel round and then into column and then form squares like they would have done, not proper infantry drills. Mm. Um, and then we did that in about five days. That's crazy. 
Yeah. I was an army cadet for a few years. It's is, not easy. It's like the brownies and, yeah. the, and the boy scouts and yeah. uh, the beavers and stuff, but mm, with mm. an army slant. Yeah. And uh, we had a, oh, there's still a band actually called the Silver Bugles, and we mm. used to do all kinds of marching instead. Yeah, yeah. And you do, you do all those things. We'd play for dignitaries, mm. in, um, and yep. they play for the Queen after I left. Yeah. Just after I left. It was like, you know when you, <laughs> you, know when you like loosen a jar for someone? You can't do it, and then and then they open it, and you go, "Oh, I yeah. loosen up here." Yeah. That's how it felt. Yeah, it I left, and then they got the Queen gig, which is like the the gig. Yeah, um, and uh, and yeah, we had to do all kinds of crazy Montecute House things, like that, mm-hmm. all kinds of crazy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's like you're, you're marching along, duh, 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 and you got yeah. the, the bass drummer coming by you, his 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 mallet or whatever. <laughs> Why do you call Most it? Most important thing you can step that does, yeah. Oh my days! But yeah, two hundred. So that's hard for. Yeah, Tw- uh, twenty or thirty sort of teenagers who are yeah. fairly quick learners, um, who d- who have been doing it for years mm. for a th- few hours a week. But you're doing two hundred men in how how long was that? Sorry? Five days. Five days is is mental. So it's me, my boss Paul, who got me the job, and another guy called Ian Edwards, and we were the the kind of drill sergeants, as it were, the, the assistants that 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 would, you know did all the drilling and repetition and got people used to it, um, and then. What happened was, uh, fast forward, it wasn't last year, but the year before, the October before, about two years ago, um, Paul rang me and said, could you do three weeks in Latvia for me? I went, right, what's that doing? And he went, um, training um, troops again, same kind of stuff, musket drill and marching for Catherine the Great, which was the Sky series that came out last year with Helen Mirren in it. So again, I was I was on my own this time because my my, my boss Paul was on another um, job in uh, he was doing strike back in Malaysia, right? And there was a three week crossover where and he said, "Can you go out and train these troops?" And I went, "Yeah, of course I will." So I went out to Latvia, out to Latvia, flew out to Riga, and um, I had I think it was about 170 guys I had to train my on my own, right. So in, how, in five days. How do you approach this? How do you... So you go, right, musket drills. But you weren't using muskets in the military when in your time. Well, obviously. It, it's I mean, very similar. You're not that old. Um, so how do, you, how do you approach... Do you sit in a room with a musket and you go, all right, I need to learn how to use all of this before I start teaching other study. people? Or you you studying via YouTube and books? Study. Study, study, study. Um, and how much of it is sort of winging it for a bit? There's not, not a lot of wing anyone. in it, actually. No, no. Um, whenever Paul asks me to do a job, I'll say, what would you like me to study? Right, first thing. First what do you need? question. And I managed to track down, when I did um, that job, I managed to track down, don't ask me how, because I can't remember. I've still got it at home. It's a Russian drill manual that had been um, translated from 1795. And that was just, it was meant to be set in 1760. And that was the closest I could get. That's so niche. It was very niche. Yeah, How did you yeah. find that? Uh, How did you just lot searching. Ask you, but a lot of searching. But Russian eBay. Find, yeah, so I, I, I spent a lot of time studying that. Um, and then, um, you know, getting down, down there. And the, the, the difficulty with doing that job, the, all the young lads, 170 lads, the young lads were really good. Their English was perfect. Right. But a lot of the older guys spoke Latvian or Russian. Okay, so you've got me calling out drill in, in English to Latvians 
most of half of which don't speak English at all. And the guy that was assisting me was Lithuanian. So what he was doing was speaking in Russian to these guys and the young lads were helping the guys that didn't speak English speaking in Russian and telling them what I wanted. <laughs> that sounds pretty draining. Yeah, it was pretty full on. So the perks of the job is, is travel. Yes. And how well are you looked after when you say, so say you go, you go three weeks in Latvia. Hmm. What, what can you expect when someone says to you, do you want to spend an X amount of time in, in this place? What do you expect? What is the minimum that you expect? Uh, I mean, I'm quite happy to rough it personally. But right. It doesn't bother me. But normally you get a hotel, uh, you'll get evening meal. Um, you obviously get breakfast at the hotel and you tend to get a per diem, which is a certain amount of money per day, you know, being on tour, you get a per diem. Um, <laughs> money? <on tour>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really got to the money. But, uh, yeah. but you get a certain amount per day given to you per diems to, you know, buy, buy an evening meal. Actually, what one time we did get, um, we got a little skim off the top of the dead yeah. Kennedy's per diem. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Like a, yeah, yeah. It was like 20, like the tour manager came into the dressing room, he was like, here's 20 quid, lads. Here's 20 quid from the, from the buyout. Yeah. Um, and we were like, cheers. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> it like, really like, meant yeah. a lot. It really yeah, yeah, meant yeah, a lot. It, does. it really does. Like, oh God, yes, thank yeah. you. Uh, okay, cool. And and so, so, you, so what happens when you rap? You don't know when the next piece of work is coming? Or? No. No, I mean, I did that three weeks for, for Paul in Latvia and Lithuania. Bizarrely, I spent a weekend in Lithuania in, in uh, Vilnius, um, in the capital. And I was thinking, oh, I'll have a look around. No, the Pope was visiting that day. <laughs> so every, you couldn't go anywhere. I was like, all right, I'll stay in a hotel then, shall I? It's mad, isn't it? Mm. Hey? God's will and everything. Yeah, and yeah, it was everywhere. really getting in the way of my record shopping. I wasn't happy. <laughs> well, so when you go out record store shopping mm. in these uh, in these places, mm. these strange, wonderful foreign lands, mm. um, what are you looking for when you go out? What are you looking for? Well, I, I obviously look at seven inches, but that's me. Seven inch soul and funk and jazz and Latin and all that kind of good stuff. Um, there wasn't any there, I have to say. Unfortunately. Oh, really? No, what, there was nothing like that. What is there in Latvia? What sort of... It's quite a rocking tour orientated. There were some soul albums, but it was nothing that really grabbed my, my fancy, really. Right. You know, it's... Because you, you then got to bring it home with you. It's well, yeah, that's not vinyl, a problem. Isn't it? That's you... not a problem. Okay. Do you bring a case with you for records when you go in? No, I ju- if I pick something up, I'll just pack it very carefully. Okay. And put it in my hand luggage. So let's get on to... Um, so you did Fury. Yep. Uh, how was Fury. Because I've seen Fury, it's uh, very good. As, I haven't seen Monuments Men yet. As an extra, and it's gone down in in history, in legend, as one of the hardest films as an extra. Really? Yeah. How how so? Well, we were camp. There was a campsite about a mile and a half from um, where it was filmed, where the base unit base was. And Monday to Friday, we stayed there at a reduced rate. That they, the film company had got. I was. I had a, a people carrier at the time. So I just dropped all the seats and slept in the back of it. So it's like being on exercise. Right. Um, so you'd run around in uniform all day and then get back, have a shower, have some scoff and um, turn in for the night. I was in bed by half eight, nine o'clock. It was October, October time, so it was, you know, going dark early, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So you just sort of regress, maybe not, maybe regress isn't the word, but you just sort of, you sort of go, go into this 
old mode yeah. of like, oh, this isn't too yeah. bad. I've got my car and, yeah. and there's a shower at least. You yeah. sort of count your blessings there. It's, yeah. For some people listening, that's going to sound really horrific, really <laughs> miserable. But I, I know as well from, um, yeah. you know, on sometimes on tour, there's like, you know, you're on someone's floor. Yep. Their, their dogs are licking you. Yep. I, we stayed in a place in Florida mm-hmm. and uh, we came in and we're like, hey, what's up? And they were just like, on the bongs just they <laughs> barely even said hello we we're like we're staying on your and they're like yeah. cool and they had these like huge dogs yeah yeah and they just wouldn't leave us alone we're trying yeah. to sleep on the floor just yeah. trying to keep ourselves to ourselves grateful there's a roof these guys clearly don't care that we're here <laughs> actually one of them was like putting a headlock at the uh, at the gig earlier that <laughs> oh night by God. a guy um that's a that's a story as well mm. this this dude pulled me outside of this dive bar in florida and was like i'm gonna ask the brit uh, what his uh, stance on gun control is. Mm. Almost like it was like, if I said it wrong, yeah, the Second Amendment. he was going to yeah, like, yeah. try and give me some. Yeah. It was like, it was a weird experience. Mm. I mm. talked my way out of it. As you, as you, you just say, think. no one's taking your guns. <laughs> That's what you do. No one's taking your guns. Yeah, and then you survive. What happened with um, Fury was, um, you've seen the film, I take it. Yes, yeah. So when they're doing the, the attack across the field, the beet fields, towards that tree line and the yeah. trenches. That took two and a half weeks to shoot that. So I'm on, I'm behind the third tank along, right. Lucy Sue, with Paul, I might add, my boss now. And um, so you're running, explosions, machine guns going off, da 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 get to the tree line. Right, reset, trudge back across, then do it again from a different angle, back across. And we did that for weeks. And that is knackering when you've got mud collecting on your boots beyond one of those diesel fumes all the time. It was pretty horrific. Um, yeah, that was pretty difficult. So you're having breakfast, which was not great, at half past five in the morning. And one day we got fed at three o'clock for lunch. We were literally keeling over with no energy left. Right. Yeah, it was hard. Suffer for thy art. Yeah. But yeah, no, as I was saying, like even, even on a floor somewhere. And, yeah. Because uh, I've been in places with the cadets where it's... Yep. It's horrible. It's cold, it's miserable. Mm. I got stand two one day, ambushed, and I was led in my <laughs> boxes in the frosty grass at nice. five in the morning. And it's like, it doesn't get any worse than, you know, there's people around you getting hypothermia because you're in a lean-to and you should have made an apex. L- little, little uh, thing, if you're going to be sleeping out like that and you can know you're going to get bumped... Don't take your boots or your kit off. Yeah. Just have your helmet and your weapon next to you. You're good young. to go. I was young. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't even see him. I was like just adjusting my eyes. And my, we hear a bah, 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 yeah, yeah. tree line. Yeah. Stand two. Stand two. Mm. And I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. And you got your your, your, your rifle barrel up your nose you know, so they make you sleep with it just in case someone steals it in the yeah. night. Um yeah, so I just when I'm in those situations, I think ah, it's not you know it's oh, I've, I've been through worse, mm, mm. and I, and I think that's probably helped you out quite a bit because you just regress to a part in your brain when you go, nah, remember that time? Yeah, this is all right. Yeah, it's yeah, okay. it's easy. Yeah. What's the pay like? It's all right. It's good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to deny it. It's, it. As an extra, it's okay. I mean, on 1917, I think the guys were getting about 150 pound a day. That's not bad when you're sitting around all day in a uniform in the sun. Yeah, I'll do that. Fed. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes I see these roll calls for extras and things yeah. like that. Like you put one out the other yeah, yeah. the other day on your Facebook, mm. and it's always like preferably five foot something, 
five foot, uh, five to ten or something. It's dependent on what they're looking for, right? But yeah. is that is that that's the case of a lot of World War One, World War Two kind yeah, of stuff? Because a, a, and a lot of it's because the uniforms are tiny as well. Yeah, and everybody was a lot smaller then. Yeah. Just for the re- I'm six foot nine, so yeah. for the listener, um, there's no way. No, I'm <laughs> six foot one, so I don't fit in a lot of it either. Right. You know. They put you near the back sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Deep back, <laughs> deep background. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> too, too fat to fight. <laughs> so, um, so would you say that 1917? Let's get to 1917. Yeah. Let's really get into the the meat of it because yeah, yeah. I, I feel like 1917 is is the one you're most proud of. Oh yeah. And probably for me, it's probably the 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 greatest war film I've seen since Saving Private Ryan. And I know that's everyone's. It's the cliche benchmark, even benchmark. though this, there's some tactical mm. um, things in mm. Saving Private mm. Ryan. It does get a bit Hollywood, doesn't it, at yep. times? But that's the benchmark, isn't it? Mm. Or Band of Brothers is a very good benchmark yes. as well. I think 1917 is the best thing I've seen since I'd since agree with that. you. Yeah. So, so how do we even get into this? It's just so from the uniforms to the, the patches to um i thought we i sent you a video earlier mm. was just so that we were singing off the same yeah, yeah, hymn, yeah. hymn sheet him sheet a little yeah. bit is that they were even talking about um the chalk yes in, in the absolutely yeah the chalk in the ground mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's all yeah. absolutely historically correct yeah how does that begin and where do you fit into that well, where i fit it in after i finished catherine the great Paul said to me, he said, look, I'm working on this film. I've just got this film. Explain to me what it was in small detail because of NDAs and stuff. Um, That's a non-disclosure agreement, agreement, by the way. Yeah. And um, he said, I'm looking, I'm going to need an assistant for it because of the multitude of numbers that we're going to have. I went, yep, because I do a normal job anyway as well that pays the bills mm. and book time off when I get a job like this, like 1917. So I thought, right, I need to start getting myself fitter. This is kind of November time. And then he got me in in the March and I was at the last production meeting at Shepparton just before, about two weeks before they started filming. So Paul got me in. What we had to do was um, we had 700 people that were coming in through in groups of 60, six times a day, or six, seven, 670, nearly 700, um, in a place on the other side of Salisbury Plain, in a place called Netherhaven, mm. not too far from here. So we had to make sure, Paul, Paul at this point had already gone with the, because he's the main military advisor, done the scripts with the director, et cetera, et cetera, and put his uh, advisor in his advisory role as to, why uh, parts of the story that may not, not need to be changed but made to be looked at to make them more realistic um and obviously we had a military historian as well called andy robertshaw who's like this he's got the brain the size of this planet he's just got <laughs> like this just knowledge is unbelievable is he the chap from the eight thousand foot media Correct. uh thing that i sent yeah, you earlier the, the video ta- yes thing. yes amazing yeah. gentleman he he lives for it Yes, so let's does. let's frame up 1917 in a nutshell. 1917 yep. is uh, the story of two young soldiers who mm-hmm. are picked, I guess, from the ranks. Yes, to deliver a 
message to the mm. front line in the Somme. Is it the Somme? It is, yeah. Well, it's just the Western Front. It's the Battle of Arras, actually. Right. Um, with uh, being lance corporals, or which is just the rank of a private, they've, you know, maybe second in command of a section, et cetera, et cetera. They're a little bit of responsibility, bit, bit of experience. Um, however, in the army, and you can ask any soldier, don't ever volunteer for anything, or they were volunteered. Mm. <laughs> they were told you're doing this. Yeah. And that does happen sometimes, but never volunteer for anything. You know, it says in the film, I thought we might be getting a ration run or something. It would be a nice, easy number. You never know what you're going to be volunteered or volunteer for. So that's why you'd be the grey man and stay in the background. All right. Um, so, yeah, they go on their merry way and get given that task. And you're thinking, oh, God. And... And then what is the task? The task is to deliver, deliver a that ceasefire. Message. Yeah, that message to that colonel. And there's something about someone's... Yeah, well, well one, of, one of the lads, back, um, Blake, his brother is a lieutenant, uh, a chinless wonder in, um, in, in the regiment uh, that they're trying to rescue or stop from going over. So he's got to try and stop his brother from being killed, basically. So they've got to get the, the, the note there or deliver the note in time, the orders in time to... Um, Stop a catastrophe. Good luck with that. And the journey ahead is arduous, yes. to say the least. Hmm. Um, well, the in some ways, it's a buddy movie for a bit. Yeah. Uh, and so, 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 yeah. So you've prepared for this with hmm. all these numbers. Do you work really closely with the wardrobe department? Yes. Okay. So, so tell me what the first. What does the first few days to a week on set? Um, look like compared to maybe the the end week on set. Well, there's obviously a lot of things you have to get right at the beginning. Yeah, and then there's once that's all squared away, mm. there's other things that you. So this film in particular, because of the way it's shot, the one shot, because you're going through the trenches and you're seeing people's faces very close up. Yeah. So my mate Paul, they did an open casting in Salisbury, and uh, and. The director, Sam Mendes, picked hundreds and hundreds of faces, like 700 faces. We then took them on the assessment to see if they're physically robust enough for the task ahead. And that's what we did all day. So what you've got, you've got 60 guys. You give them 10, 15 minutes drill, see if they can actually listen to what they're being told. And then we'd have some imaginary trenches and we'd have them advancing across the field, which comes to the, the last shot at the end. All right, so you've got to get out of a trench, advance, and then you've got to advance, and then you've got to react to different um, calls. We were going artillery, so they'd be like that, or take a shot, they'd be taking a shot like that, or down, and they'd just hit the deck. And we had that doing about three, 400 metres doing that, and we did it about four or five times to them. You'll be surprised how many lads between 18 and 24 went, can't do any more of that. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we would never ask people to do anything if we're not prepared to do it ourselves. Yeah. Well, that's just a military thing, isn't it? If you yeah. find yourself in a, uh, as an NCO or mm. a captain or whatever, yeah. you should never ask your men to do anything Correct. that you wouldn't do mm. yourself. Mm. And you should actually probably, it's part of leadership, isn't it? Yes. Show your men that you're willing to get your hands yeah, yeah. dirty and do some of that yeah. stuff yourself as well. So, mm-hmm. interesting. Is that a generational thing or is it a... I mean, there, there was guys, that some people desperate to go on it. One guy actually had a fracture 
in his leg, when a bounce in his leg, and came on and said, I've got, and we really? He went, yeah, I'll be all right, honestly. And then they had to take to the medic because he completely buggered his leg up again. I was just like, what are you doing? Oh, some people think that that's their, you know, Hollywood. And I think people calling. think they're going to be mixing with Benedict Cumberbatch and Colin Firth on a first name terms. They've got this gilded kind of view of what's going to happen. It's not like that at all. Right. It's a lot of sitting around, in, especially in that job, in a trench. Yeah. I'll tell you what put me off extra work was the the, the show extras. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I was yeah, like, yeah, this looks really, yeah. uh, really rubbish and thankless. <laughs> and the, the thing about being an extra, there's always somebody with a story to tell. Yeah. Oh, when we were on this set. Yeah. And so there's, and so. There's, there's, there's also a lot of BS as well that people come out with. I'm sure. <laughs> oh, you can, you can swear on this pod. We're, we're swearing right now. No. Yeah, whatever we want. Yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, a lot of bullshit. So. Bullshit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you so. ever sit there and go, that's bullshit? Yeah. And what happens? Yeah, well, I just, well, if I'm watching something, I'll be like, ah. Oh. <laughs> I, I, so I studied music in, in, in Bath College for a number mm. of years, and our music department was sort of almost linked with mm. the performing arts yeah. department. And so that's your realm, isn't it? It's mm. performing. And I could, there is a real difference between musicians and performing arts people. Mm. Mm. And the difference is, hey, look at me. The world's a stage. Mm. Everything's a performance. How, how do you mitigate that on set? If, you're, if you've got like 200 men, let's say, or 60 men, and a few of them have, you know, quite rightly have some dreams of being you know sticking out and being spotted and being uh, elevated to a better role um and they make things difficult for you how do you deal with that well we mold them right so for we had a boot camp for um once the guys had been picked first couple of days they didn't have any uniforms they just have the the, the webbing the weapons uh and we'd have them do some drill uh, we'd have them getting in out of the trenches and then we took it in turns to, and then they, we had um, a stand where Andy Robertshaw would go through all the equipment. So you're moulding these people into into soldiers for all intents and purposes. That's what you're doing. Um, and getting the camaraderie together um, and that breaks down and I'll come on to that in a second. Because um, you've got a big gaggle of people and they go... And they, over the few days, they get to really know each other um, and we were making it down. We had Lewis gun teams, which is the the, the, the light machine gun. Uh, and they moulded as a group, as a section. And then when we were putting people in uh, groups for competition-wise, they'd start to get a bit competitive between the groups, you see, and that's what we want. Right. Because it creates a camaraderie. And that's how it works. And, they, you know, they do live firing and there are people desperate, well, live blank firing. Desperate to do that as well. Fire a few rounds off on the uh, on the Italy field. How many weapons on set at a time? Hundreds. And they're all functioning? No. Or there's no. A, a batch of them are there decommissioned? There are a batch of them that will be um, be able to fire, fire rounds. Um, but most of the guys on that would just have uh, a DIAC. Um, so it's just a prop. It's just a piece of metal and wood, really. It can't do, actually do anything. Do anything, right. Yeah. But it looks very real. And is there some poor sod at the back that's got it even worse? He's got some sort of rubber cardboard cutout or well, something. Well, you do have rubber weapons, and a lot of the stunts use rubber weapons for obvious reasons. If they're doing a, a getting blown out of, you know, they'll have a rubber weapon. So if they 
fall on it. They don't impale themselves. Yes, because there's a lot of bayonet um, yes. action in the 1970s. All the bayonets are rubber-ended. Right. They're rubber, they're, uh, they've, they've got um, a rubber with a small piece of steel running through it that bends quite easily. But, right. Uh, it's, it's, um, it was a bit of a bugbear of ours because a lot of it was breaking during trench, trench scenes. And how many backups do you have of things like that? Was it just... You well, that was with the armoury. Been... There was a, a dedicated armoury. Um, I mean, uh, that final uh, attack, there was 500 extras and 50 stunts. A lot of people. It's, it's it's such a stressful film to watch. And, and, and I don't mean that in a, a negative way. Mm. It just... You get so invested mm. in this journey against all odds yeah yeah and the things that these characters go through um for what happens at the end is it is incredible tell me about the village they you rebuilt that village was built from scratch at the back of shepperton studios which village is this the acoust acoust village the bombed out village where right. you've got all the fire and the, the flares and that going off at the end so that we... was built from scratch it's incredible. It was incredible. I remember walking through it going, oh my God, amazing. <laughs> because what had happened, I'd been working up in Glasgow and Tyne Tees. So when you see the, uh, when he's crossing the river on the bridge and the sniper scene, mm. that's in Govan Docks in Glasgow. Right. And when he gets into the house, that's actually into that sniper's house. That's, they built a replica of it at the back of Shepparton next to the village. So he can look when he wakes up out into the town. So it was rebuilt. Right. And obviously it had a stunt stair as well for when George falls down. So that was a rubberized stair as well. It's crazy. It's crazy. And most of this is bespoke made, right? Yes. So they have carpenters and yep. Yep. Um, historic mm. uh, people who know the history of architecture and in yeah. design. Of- yeah. Everything's meticulous. It's incredible. Because, you know, you, what people don't realise is that the makeup and costume people start at half past three in the morning to get all these extras ready to be on set for eight o'clock in the morning. And then they've got breakfast, catering, get them out, bust them out there. Because this is all filmed on Salisbury Plain, very near to here. Um, that was near Uphaven, the main, the last attack. That's where it was, just on, on the outskirts of Uphaven. And um, so you've got to get all those guys ready for eight o'clock in the morning, ready to go, ready to start filming. And and how, then, the, how the main cast when is there any diva moments does anyone get you know it's day I don't know what day it would be you know no, they're wet and cold and no not at all everyone's cool no egos I am um, when I first started there because the the, the the trenches at the start the muddy trenches that was all filmed on Bovingdon Airfield in Hertfordshire near Hemel Hempstead right and um, Paul was chatting to um, Dean who's uh, Private Blake uh, Lodge Corporal Blake Dean Charles Chapman. Oh, from, uh, he was in uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah. yeah. And I, I just went up to um, Paul because I wanted to ask him something. I went, I went hi Dean, I'm, I'm, my name's Julian, I'm Paul's tea bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that automatically broke the ice. Right. You know, and, and George is just a fantastic human being. He's a lovely man. I guess they just want some normality, don't they? Mm. George said hello to everybody on set every morning. And if, Say goodbye night at the end of the night. It's it just a really nice guy. 
Who's the worst on set? Can you? I don't know if you Me? want. It. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know for professionalism reasons if you, if, if you want to call anyone out. But no, not at all. Not at all. Everybody was just get someone a job. It's a long day. Yeah. You know, you sit, you get in calls at six, seven in the morning. You work until seven, eight at night every day. You know, I was just literally collapsing when I got home because I was driving home every day because it's Daniel Salisbury playing. Yeah. For the all the soldiery playing stuff and when we're in Glasgow I just get to the hotel and have an A beer and some dinner and go to bed too tired to do anything else madness mm. yeah mm. so I think people think a lot of film sets so you know action cut someone runs on with some sort of towel and a hot drink and they, like that they run off and go sit down and have mm. a cigarette and mm do an interview for someone on the radio or whatever because yeah. and... it's constant all day and the main actor George, George um, who's in most obviously all the way through it you know it, some scenes when he gets out of the river and goes in where the singing is yes they had to wet him down every time oh my god so he'd have to be soaking wet all the time right and then someone just comes along chucks a bucket over him and pretty much yeah it's very <laughs> yeah 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 it, it, it was just I was just like oh, rather you than me also getting paid more, a lot more than I am, but... Right. You know. So when you watch the film back, mm. what, is there anything that you see that bugs you, that you think, God, no, we didn't, we should have got that. We should have, we should have got that in the nip down no. the bud. No, it was so meticulously done. Um, uh, for me, there was a couple of bits I was really pleased about because there's a couple of things that I managed to see because I was, my boss was away for a month, so I was literally running as a military advisor and, and it's not running the set because you're way in the background staying out of the way in the monitor tent just watching every take to see if you've got an extra going like that with his weapon or just doing something stupid right. or, or uh, and then it looks and listening to the dialogue and the lines and making sure it sounds correct everything um, military that's what it's there for. So give me an example of the kind of military lingo that you would have had to in, try and insert in, well, into the, the script. When George comes out of the trench at the end to, to the dressing station, he says to, um, it's a sergeant, excuse me, sergeant, do you know where Lieutenant Blake is? And originally he says, excuse me, sir, do you know where Lieutenant Blake is? And when they did the original... Rehearsal. There was a guy with corporal stripes on, no helmet, no weapon, going the other way. And I went, "Oh, he's got to <laughs> be dressed." And you either need to change the the person or change the lines. So they changed it to an officer and did a couple of takes. And then I sat there again, and then they changed him again. And there was a it was two hours. They've obviously decided the director decided they want a different face. And they stuck this sergeant in there, and I was like, well, you need to make a call here. You know, they need to call him sergeant or put him in an officer's kit. So they changed it to sergeant. And is that, do you find that hard when you're on, you're on a, you're a huge production, hundreds mm. of people, yep. the umph hour, where, whichever hour it might be, yep. and you've got to be Mr. Nitpicky well, and it, call someone on a word? Do you think... Oh, it's man. an advisory role. Right, okay. That's what it's called, advisor. So what I wouldn't... I wouldn't just go running into Sam Mendes' trailer where he's trying to go, okay, right, this needs to be changed because <laughs> you're not going to get anywhere fast. Get sacked. Being like that, yes, you'd be off the set and you'd be gone. 
So how you would do it is go up to the first assistant director, whispers in and said, look, this is something I've noticed. I'm just going to advise this is what would happen. I go, right, okay. And then the next take, they do one or the one or other, or they just ignore it altogether because that's what they want to do. Right. Sometimes you've got to buy, you know, artistic integrity, they've got to do what they've got to do. Yeah. You know, you can only advise. It's a tough call, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Because you, you might be thinking, yeah. well, if I don't, if I nitpick that, mm, mm. maybe a later mm. moment down the line, yeah. there may be something a little bigger. Yeah. And, then, and then I'll feel like a, a burden or I feel like I'm overstepping. Yeah. It's also tiny things. When um, that the last assault, you've got 500 extras. Paul was looking after the top half. I was looking after the bottom half. So after every take, I checked bayonets weren't bent, um, bayonet frogs and entrenching all the packs and that were all looking correct and there and there. Because we break them down as to, to, to look like proper units of soldiers. So you'd have an officer at the back with a sergeant, then you'd have a section, you'd have privates at the, coming up front because they'd be the, they're the private, they're the cannon fodder. Maybe Lewis guns, then you'd have bombardiers with grenades. Really put down to minutiae detail, even though you wouldn't notice it when you're watching the film. It's perfectionism, isn't it? Yeah. I, but you have to be, don't you? You have yeah. to get these things right at the source, yes. don't you? Yes. So imagine you're sat there at the, the premiere, which I understand that you were at, and you see something that you could have checked. Yeah. And it's uh, exactly. that would bug you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd, yeah. You'd, you'd be thinking about that for the rest of the film. Yes. That, so, so tell me a film that you watched that you didn't work on. And you go, you know what? I can't watch this again. I watched one yesterday and it's just come on Netflix and it is called Enemy Lines with Ed Westwick. The costume in it and the attention to detail is appalling. Should have called you. I noticed they were having this conflab. They were using a lot of the wrong uniform. But sometimes it's down to, be bud to, to, to budget, to be fair. You can't get the uniforms absolutely spot on so you have to get the next best. And, and I get that. But they had, um, this is a massive faux pas, they had this more modern, it wasn't a Second World War period, RAF uniform. They had a guy with RAF wings yeah. here. And he had um, SAC badges here, which is a senior aircraftsman. You know, being in a, what an SAC is, having been in RAF cadets. No, no, I was Army cadets. Oh, you were Army cadets. I was an right. infantry. Well, an SAC is a, is a propeller. A three, right. Uh, prop propeller. Big things here. uh uh why so? Why is that? So just because the... you've got to be a commissioned officer in the RAF to, oh. have, to have to have RAF wings, right? Or in the Second World War, at least a sergeant. So it's the equivalent of seeing a guy. He was a senior private with a little uh, sergeant um, slider yeah. on, he, and he's to, got. Uh, he had SAC slides with that, with with the, and I was just like, no. <laughs> and then and then, and then they had the thing about the Manhattan Project. They had this nuclear bomb um, sat there. And then they had this guy who was a, a Navy guy, you know, like with the white top and the little Navy hat and the, the flares with a yeah. rifle. It would be a Marine. It, it just would. You wouldn't have Navy guys guarding like that. They just had his rifle. Like that. So awful. <laughs> and the way they were, they were tactically walking across land and stuff was pretty poor as well. Right. 
I know there's some moments in Save It Private Ryan when they're they're walking across a, a hilltop at sort of dusk, and it's like silhouettes. Hello, yeah, yeah you know, yeah. I'm gonna snipe you now. But in the defence, some of those guys were quite inexperienced. So uh, within the co- within the story, yeah, right. They're private soldiers. They're all conscripts. So that's a that's another really interesting angle as well. Yeah. Is that you it, within your role, you may have to take into account the oh, fact that the ca- where the character is yeah, yeah, in yeah. their knowledge, oh, yeah, yeah, in yeah, their yeah. experience. And, and the thing is, for, for me, I think it's very hard to be a military advisor. Well, it's almost impossible if you haven't been in the military. <laughs> because how can you put it across to somebody how you would carry a rifle and how you would act in a situation um, or the way you'd think about, I don't know, even setting up your, your bivvy if you're, or, you know, in, whatever it may be, yeah. getting your stuff out and eating. These, the people have got very specific ways of doing things. And you, you'd have to eat really fast because yeah. everyone I know from the military and I still eats do. really fast. I still do. Yeah. I, I eat day. super fast. I yeah. just inhale it, yeah. and I think I think it's from from yeah. two weeks of army cadets where yeah. you're 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 eating. It's been a long ass day, and you want to get it in you before someone well, this is ambushes the thing. I, you, I, or you have to do something else. Yeah. Or yeah, you haven't got time to do something. Or more to the point, you get given hot food and you get it down while it's still hot. Yeah, because it warms you up. And yeah. If you're in the middle of a field, I remember I went on exercise in Wales for two and a half weeks, and it rained when we got there. And it was still raining when we left for two and a half weeks. And my home was... Um, a lean-to. A lean-to on the side of a Land Rover with my sleeping bag. So I was just wet for two and a half weeks. Yeah, it's miserable, isn't it? Mm. I've, had, I've had weekends like that. I haven't, been, I haven't done that yeah. for that long. With well, you used to but... uh, spend... If you, in, when I was, in, I was in Germany for about a year and a half in West Germany before the wall came down, and you used to go out and exercise for a month. Yeah, you c- come back a man. I- <laughs> come back very dirty. So I don't know about anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I remember one night I was—I had one of those um, one of those torches where they're they're almost like a periscope looking. Oh yeah, uh, a little right angle torch. Yeah, yeah. and obviously you got your your red yeah, yeah your yeah. red lens on yeah, it yeah. So for your uh, I can't remember what the 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 name of the the light ray is now gamma or something. Infrared. It, it, yeah. It's it's just um, it doesn't it, travel. It, it doesn't travel as well. Red light and. I made the rookie error of setting up uh, an a uh, an apex, yeah. um, which is essentially just a, a waterproof poncho. Yeah, you have to make sure that the hood is um, tightened off yeah. so that that's not a huge um, structural in, uh, leak. Yeah, um, and uh, it come down in the middle of the night. I yeah. used my Bergen as a as a <laughs> as a pillow. I had my. Uh, it's not an SA eight SA eighty. Well, it is an SA eighty, but it's a we called it the GP rifle. It's just oh, like yeah, a yeah. cocking handle on it. It's like yeah. a single shot yeah. variant of the yeah, SA. Yeah. And um, in the middle of the night, it'd come down. It was raining. I was on some little slope. I was just getting it, getting it all wrong. <laughs> all wrong. And we've it all was been just, there. Like a, just, a, just a puddle on top yeah, of me. Yeah, we've all been there. Yeah, and you just lie there defeated. Yeah, yeah. And you go, yeah. I have the longest day ahead of me right now. Yeah. And I'm, I'm under a swimming pool. Do you know what the worst thing is? The worst thing in the world is when you're in your your, your maggot, your scratcher, <laughs> which is what, which is what's your sleeping, sleeping bag, bag yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then you get the the, the knock. You're on stag, mate. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, 
<laughs> you've got to get out. It's pissing down with rain. You've got to go and go on guard for like two hours and just like, I really don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. And this is when you're regretting your life choices. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like I, like I said, I was chatting to a guy um, the other night and uh, he, we were talking about stag duty yeah. and how just utterly mind-numbing it is. Yeah, yeah. And I start to see things. Get stag on, mate. That, that isn't that aren't there mm. so mm. I'd be so yeah. we would have these guys called the three stars and they were the in the, in the cadets they were like oh, yeah. the older kids basically oh yeah yeah, yeah. so they'd get given some of the more fun stuff like yeah. they they could use a an LSW which is in the uh, yeah, automatic yeah, yeah. yeah so they'd have the automatic weapons and uh, they'd also like initiate a lot of the ambushes yeah and they were just responsible for a lot more of the sort of the mischievous fun. fun right yeah yeah and so you're, all of us young'uns are in you know we're in a foxhole and mm. And the guy you're with can't even have a cigarette because the little cherry on the end will give the position away or whatever. And yeah. uh, and, you, and it's cold and you, and your brain starts, you go, hey, I think I see someone over there. Yeah, yeah. I think I see someone. And there's no one there. Yeah, it's yeah. just you. This guy I was talking to said that one of his friends said that he saw a tree uproot itself, <laughs> walk down the street and then re, replant yeah, itself. Yeah, yeah. Just because your brain has, yep. is such a lack of um, stimulus. Yes. Like your brain starts to create it, mm, mm, and mm. and and he said one guy saw a um, Panzer division roll past him, <laughs> and he's Brilliant. we haven't been fighting the Germans since nineteen forty-five. No, I saw it. <laughs> this is what you've got. Uh, depending on what what you're doing, is in uh, putting knowledge onto these people to make them really believe in what they're doing. Hmm. So when they were going over the top. Paul, you can't see their faces, but all going, you know, you've got to look as though you're shit scared because you bloody would be. Yeah. You'd be absolutely petrified of what's going to be, be happening very, very soon. Well, historically, we know it's almost certain death for a lot exactly. of Exactly. just running into bullets, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. And, and what the Germans did, they, this was um, the Battle of Arras, which is April um, 1917. And what they did, they actually retreated from for, by 10 miles and re-dug their lines. In wonderful plush green grass, wasn't it? Is that right? Right, I'll come on to that. Right. And then what they did, they put, put new trenches and, and shortened the lines so they could put more firepower there. And it was a very deliberate thing that the Germans did, purely to pull the Allies in so they could pulverise them. So what you see on that trench, which is chalk, which is actually true, a lot of people, I've read a lot of um, comments online going, oh, that's not very real, it's all mud. No, it wasn't actually. You know, at the start of the First World War, a lot of the, the war was um, on grass with cavalry, actually, before they got ground down into trenches. Yeah. Um, but what happened, this is new ground. So those trenches have just been dug to protect the men, and they're about to advance because that's where it was 24, 48 hours before. That was German territory. So it's fresh. Right. And you could bet your bottom dollar within, you know, six months, it'd be just a mess again if they stayed where they were because that's what would have happened. So that's why you've got the fresh French. It's just amazing. It's amazing the, the levels of ingenuity, the levels of cunning, the levels of cruelty that oh, yeah. we're, we're capable of. Well, I, 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 with the armory, when we were doing the boot camp, um, they were test firing the Vickers machine guns. Right. And Dave, one of the armourers, said, Julian, do you want to have a go on this? I need to test 
the, the, the vicars and get the gas setting right so it runs properly, works properly. And um, he said, because they've got canvas belts, the vicars. Right. And put 50 blank rounds in, and I was like, <laughs> just the best thing in the world. I mean, it's right. a lethal killing machine. Yeah. But the same side of the coin, it was, it was great fun to have done that. But you think, you know, that six, Standing in front 600 of that. rounds a minute. Oh. And in World War One. Yeah. I mean, what's what what is the what's the nearest um, innovation in killing uh, to World War One, the previous one? Sorry, how do you mean? So, World War One, you have tanks, you Start have the biplane, yeah, yeah. Uh, you have uh, the Vickers machine gun. Yeah. What, so that's a big step up mm. from previous wars. Yes. So where is the, where's the next nearest for for um, I guess. For, for perspective, what was the, the the next deadliest weapon preceding that? So would it have gone from muskets straight up to? Because well, there's quite a jump, isn't it? I guess that's what I'm saying. Yeah, from yeah. From World yeah. War One to World War Two, well, the jump in lethality was the, quite. There was a big change, sea change in the American Civil War, actually. Right. Um, and it went from muskets, and muskets were all the way through, but to the end of it. And another reason the 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 the, the North won because they started using a lot of rifles, right? Because muskets have got a smooth barrel. Yes. Okay. So you're firing a musket with a smooth barrel over about fifty yards, and it tends to go off there. Right. Whereas a rifle will keep it straighter. And that's due to the rifling in the, the barrel, which is a um, it's a groove, a groove, a spiraling spiral groove. groove. That's right, and it keeps the projectile straighter. Because it's spinning. Yes. Is that called centrifugal gravity? Correct. Right. And that keeps it going to a longer range. Also, in that war, you had the start of armoured ships. Right. In the American Civil War. And then you also had the start of the um, the Gatling gun. Which was a, a crank one. Correct. Uh, uh, device. Mm -hmm. So jumping onto the battlefield of World War One. Were there would there have been veterans of the American Civil War? Or, Probably not. Or people well, the American War? Civil War was eighteen sixty one to eighteen sixty five. Oh, okay, no, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> no, and obviously you had uh, uh, things like um, uh, the Boer War at the turn of the century, nineteen oh five, and they were using um, and obviously the Zulu Wars, Battle of Zandalwana, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, which they used the Martini Henry, which was a single shot. Ah. That was a single shot, put a new one in the top, clip, bang. And that's so, so you're showing the, uh, it's got that sort of. Um, it's got a bit like a Winchester, it's got a cocking handle. Underneath the. Yeah, but the, the, the way you feed it is into the top. So you feed the bullet, the, 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 the round into the top, like that, clicking it in, bang, ejecting it. Yeah. New one in, bang, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it was rifled and it was a, a, a brass cartridge. Right. As opposed to with a, a musket, it was um, uh, a, a, a piece of cardboard with gunpowder inside and a lead ball and a piece of dub, uh, wadding at the top. That's the difference. Wadding. <laughs> um, yeah. Big difference. So it's a big, so it's a big jump, World War, uh, the last World War conflict One. into World War One. Yeah, yeah, massive. Soldiers saw yeah. things that they... I mean, can you imagine seeing a tank well, for the first, first time? Tank, tanks were 1916. Right. So the first, when the First World War started, it was a lot of cavalry charges yeah. at the start. Then it bogged down into trench warfare with machine guns. And then you started getting things like mustard gas. Right. And chlorine gas. 
So they had to develop gas masks. Yeah. Um, and then obviously planes started coming in. Uh, and obviously they got better, at, uh, um, machine guns got better and better and better. And the artillery got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then you had things like uh, tunnel, right? You had the big t- dig, dig in tunnel teams to try and blow enemy trenches up with massive underground explosions, which they did, which they showed in the film, that massive crater. And that did happen. Um, and at the end of the war, the Germans started using, which which they used very successfully in the Second World War, Blitzkrieg, they started using stormtroopers, hence the name. Right. And the Star Wars name, stormtroopers, um, where they were using submachine guns and lots of grenades. Going so in. what is that? Is that like That's a shock a submachine and awe tactic? Yeah, it's shock and awe, yeah. It's a 30-round mag submachine gun with loads of, loads of stick grenades. It's just like fire superiority. Yeah, but they were losing an awful lot of men because of it. And they couldn't afford to take their losses anymore. Is that because it's quite a slapdash? It's a very sort of well, uncontrolled. It's going, be, it's going to be a high attrition rate, isn't it? Right. Mm. High attrition rate. Mm. Just that phrase is putting it into war. Mm. And, then, and obviously the Americans joined as well. Yeah. So they were kind of done and dusted, really. Madness. It's, it's crazy how war innovates things faster than. Mm. than uh, peacetime. Yeah, well, Second World War was even worse, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, I saw on YouTube the other day a, a, an artillery uh, uh, cannon, I guess you'd call it, fire a nuclear oh. warhead. Yeah, artillery piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Local, you know. Yeah. yeah. Small nuclear. <laughs> a small warhead. nuke. Yeah. But it was just... Yeah. yeah. Why? <laughs> that's yeah, the exactly. Question. Why? Yeah. why do you need to... Yeah, yeah. Because you can. I think yeah. that's that's part of it with with this, mm, this mm, stuff isn't it it's mm. people go well what would happen if we did that yeah well try it yeah because obviously with 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 my boss paul his name's paul biddis by the way uh if you look him up on on the internet there's an awful lot of stuff um that he's i mean he's the go-to person in the industry without a shadow of a doubt right um he's been there done it in his military career uh there's a lot you know there's a couple of there's one in particular i won't name him um, who's purported and, and, and let every, try and let everybody know that he was ex-SAS, et cetera, et cetera. He wasn't at all. He was a, he was a, and no shame in it, he was a gunner in a, in a tank right. for a few years. Be proud of what you do. Don't try and bullshit people because you'll get found out. Yeah. And they, they say the SAS is the biggest regiment in the world, don't they? Uh, yeah, of Because course. everyone claims to have yeah, been yeah, in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. the first Sex Pistol show. Yeah, everyone every, claims to have been there. There's about 10,000 people on the balcony of the Iranian embassy in 1980. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stormtroopers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I did actually spend some time at Hereford. Right. Not in the SAS, supporting them with helicopters. But, you know, that was a great, that was great fun. And I can say hand on heart that I did it. Yeah. Because there's no bullshit there. It's strange, isn't it? Yeah. People lie about... It's called Stolen Valour, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, people do. There's a, a thing called the Walter Mitty Hunters Club. On the what, sorry? Walter Mitty Hunters Club. <laughs> Off the old... Uh, um, is Walter Mitty a fable? Yeah, pretty much. A fable? Yeah, a bit, a, bit, a bit, you know, people trying to gain notoriety or financial, you know, for, through by saying what they've done in the past and they're daring to and they've actually done... Claiming, uh, claiming yeah. things. I, I've met yeah. loads of people in my life who are just massive liars, huge yeah, bullshit. Yeah, so have I. Yeah, and, yeah. and they tell you these yeah. extraordinary stories yeah. thinking that you're going, going to um, mm. believe it. There's a guy on um, Fury. Right. There's a guy who's an extra. He um, was American. Yeah. 
Made out he was a, a, a bit like an Arlie Ermey on the full metal jacket, a, um, a training sergeant. Oh, um, Gunny. Yeah, yeah, Gunnery Sergeant, giving all that 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 bullshit and marching us around and stuff. What he actually was was um, an RAF sergeant, which is uh, a ground crew. Uh, basically, was a, an RAF baggage handler. <laughs> and this is at Lake and Heath. This is absolutely no lie. Right. And he got found, and he was just a camera past every shot. He was just there. He suddenly appeared. You can guarantee he'd, appear, he'd just appear in the background. <laughs> and and they ruined a lot of the film. That, oh, where's Wally? They, they had to um, take parts out of, of Fury for that reason, because he was just wouldn't leave it alone. <laughs> to the point he was even writing songs and stuff for, and trying to get David Ayrton to include it in the film. <laughs> I, I, I jest you not. Write the theme tunes. Yeah, the theme yeah, tunes. yeah. It's like that, God's uh, honest truth. Oh my God, that's amazing. Mm. He's David, uh, not David Brent. He's uh, what's the what's the character in Extras? Yeah, um, I'm just wondering if I can get a line on. The, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly like yeah. that. He's exactly like that. <laughs> just incredible. What people that's are really around. tickled me. Yeah, the fact that you know the camera's panning. Yeah, yeah, and they're watching through the monitor, and there he is, but probably staring right down the lens. Yeah. This, <laughs> this is a guy with um, pictures of uh, him with a, a, an airsoft um, <laughs> AR-15 and a, a shemak uh, uh, in his back garden in, in, in Cambridgeshire. <laughs> wow. What yeah. do they call those? A plastic? What they? Pl- uh, what That's they? just Walter Mitty's to me. Walter Mitty's. Yeah. I, I, when Paul asked me to do 1917 Project, I knew I had to make sure I did it, no matter how scary it was. Well, not scary, you know, the, the sacrifice to do it because I had to get a lot of time off. I had to take my whole year's holiday with my job and a sabbatical to do it. Wow. You know, so I took a whole year's holiday and they let me do it, thankfully. But you're glad you did it? Oh, 100%, 150%. Right. Watching that film at the cast and crew show in, 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 um, in London was just amazing. It is, it is an incredible incredible film it's it's an incredible artistic achievement mm, mm. and if i never ever do anything again i've done that yeah, that film isn't going away no films like uh, we were soldiers or yeah. tigerland or something yeah. they do kind of fade fade or wind was it what were they called was it wind takers breakers yeah. uh with Cage. Oh, wind talkers wind talkers i still haven't seen that actually yeah. but i mean been meaning to but things like platoon Private Ryan. I watched that last night, Platoon, actually. Yeah. I've, I saw that recently. Um, it's just it's great, isn't it? There's something, there's the, the Vietnam War was a very unique war in terms of oh, culture, so. culturally, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, aesthetically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's all on its, it's, yeah. all its own very interesting. thing. Um, have you ever come across that fellow? I sent you a video earlier, didn't They'll I? Die. They'll I die. I haven't. I haven't. I see a legend on set. People talk about, oh, yeah, we worked with him and... Because he's he's the guy that came out of the military. He watched all these films, um, and he was like you, disgusted by some of the the military um, correctness uh, and the and the tactics and things. And said, "Look, I'm going to create this mm. this position for myself and tell Hollywood that you know realism is important within military." Yeah, I mean, settings. I don't really know much about the guy, but um, I, I, you know, he's he's he made. I mean, Platoon's a good film. Yeah. Um, how much he had input into it I don't know yeah 
I know he's one of the advisors on it. Um, I watched a thing earlier, and he said that he took all the guys of, from the all yeah, the big Hollywood stars to yeah to your boot camp yeah, style yeah. thing that yeah. you were mentioning earlier. So he took them eighty miles into the jungle. Yeah. He said he got the effects guys to put um, charges, mm. explosive charges yeah. in the junk in the cliff sides or whatever. The, I mean, the how much was. of that is true? We'll never know. Wow, I like because you can't have ordnance packed away where people might be stepping. Right. On a film set. Yeah, you know, you, you blow up Charlie Sheen and he's out of action for <laughs> nine months because he's got big scars on his face. Yeah. Who's going to be in the poo? In the poo, yes. Exactly. So I would take that with a pinch, a pinch of, of salt. salt. I would like to believe it, though, because it's just such a fantastic story. So mm. the legend goes, he takes them 80 miles into the jungle. Mm. There's some things, some goodies packed away, yeah, yeah. explosives. They do uh, drills and he, he tries to beat the Hollywood egos out of them and, yeah. and do what they would do with mm. um, uh, a regular unit. Yeah. And he said at one point he blows the side of the... He, he gets the... the uh, what do you call it? The ordnance? He detonates the ordnance, yeah. the explosives on the yeah. tail side or whatever and he jumps down in a foxhole with one of the actors. Oh yeah, I saw that about getting a magazine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give yeah. me a goddamn magazine, yeah. private! And the guy reaches in his bag and hands him People magazine. Yeah, 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 I know. And he rolls know. it up, beats him with it and yeah, says, yeah. not that kind of magazine! Um, I Great. mean, I'd take that all with a pinch of salt. Oh, stop it! <laughs> you know, I it, want it to be true. You can't go around beating... <laughs> and berating main actors um, for, you know, because they're just getting into the role themselves. He, well, he said, but by the time they'd finished with this, yeah. by the time they got to set, they were a unit. Yeah, yeah, and of course. they were exhausted. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, they yeah. were yeah. in the yeah. role, and they, they moved, and they... In Fury, yeah. the the main tank crew, yeah. and I got to know this geezer quite well, um, David Ayer's old school friend is a Kempo karate instructor. Who is David Ayer? The director. Oh, okay, right. Sorry, <laughs> his best mate from school is a Kempo karate instructor in um, in, Hol- in in Las Vegas, uh, Las Vegas, LA, even. And um, he had them training with him every morning. Then they do their day, and then they train at the end, and then they'd be finished for the day. And he used to do them every day. Um, I'm I've studied martial arts. I haven't done it for a couple of years now, but I studied um, Aikido for ten years. Uh, and I was still practicing at the time as a first-time black belt when I was talking to him then. And um, I was just chatting to him about martial arts and he was telling me what he did and he, that's what he was doing every day. And we used to just, just chat on set in between takes because we were kind of a, 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 you know, a, 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 an interest in what we each other did, you know. Yeah, we weren't cavorting around doing loads of moves and stuff. We were just kind of talk, waxing <laughs> lyrical about it, as it were, you know. You weren't ambushing each other with uh, no, karate chops. No, no, karate no. Chops. no. Yeah, you know, and he used to beast them every day. Right. So they were a very, very tight unit because of that reason. And uh, how are the main cast of Fury? I know you said that Brad Pitt smokes like a trooper and he's yep. always surrounded by about 30 people. Yeah, and he was a very solitary character, actually, a lot of the time. Right. Which I thought I was a I bit would sad. Be. Oh, you thought it was sad? I thought it was a bit sad. Okay. Um, the rest of the tank crew were fine. The, Charlotte Buff is a very strange character. Very strange. Man. Do you think he's he's um, naturally this sort of aloof, strange, yeah, I just, artistic type? Or do you think he's sort of carving out a I, bit of a I thing for himself? I he's a bit damaged, personally. Right. My personal opinion. But, I, did, you know, I don't really know him, to be fair. It's just what he came across as. But the rest of the tank crew were fine. Right. Yeah, they're fine. 
Um, I've heard sto- I've heard stories about his sort of method acting. Yeah. yeah. Well, he did that. He was doing that cut on his cheek on Fury. He kept opening it up. That was a proper cut. It wasn't makeup. Right. It's almost like unnecessary, isn't it? Yeah. Because the makeup... Got makeup look, there, do that. You look fine. It's your face. I had like blood all over my face every day. Like, you know. Yeah. I did hear that when uh, De Niro, Robert De Niro, did um, Cape Fear, he oh, paid yeah. 30... It was Wikipedia, I think. I read this answer. It might not be correct. Mm. But 30 grand to mm. have his teeth ground down so that his sort of gum-to-tooth ratio was different to make him look more menacing. And I think, well, you're not getting those teeth, you're not getting those teeth back. Ooh. I mean, I guess with age, your gums recede a bit, so... Yeah, yeah. You mm-hmm. might sort of it's, get back to where you were, but... The method acting is like, oh, no. No? But, I, I, you know, I'm, I don't pretend to be arty at all. I just um, get to advise and train extras and... and, and the, the, the military advisor role or, or helping Paul and doing the training, it's a very solitary thing. Right. Because you, normally your advisor is just the team of one. Okay. You're the only person there. Yeah. Um, it's just lucky that Paul, because of the numbers, had me and him. Uh, that's very rare. Yeah. You, know. you get to hang out and... Um... Yeah. Um, you know, but, you know, when there's that many people around, there's, there's a lot of work to be done, so... It's just a constant all day, you know. And why do you think Brad Pitt is solitary? Even though, so how how is he so? Because that's interesting to me. So how is he solitary when he's all already got thirty people around him? Let's well, say he's got his, you know, his, his makeup is somebody doing his what he's wearing, somebody doing his food, and it's just a plethora of people. It's bizarre. And what? How are they? Are they all right, or do they yeah, just? There are bits, I mean, this is a long time ago now, and I probably didn't appreciate it at the time because I was just an extra. Right. They're very sycophantic, you know, but they're going to be, aren't they? I suppose. I do find it interesting how how the the life's... Because you hear that, you know, so-and-so's a bit this or he's a bit that, yeah. or this guy's a really nice guy, um, or, or this fella's like, he's a complete asshole. Yeah. And you sort of wonder, like, they don't live, they don't live normal lives. No, they don't. They don't. And and that is not that mm. what I'm what you told me mm. about Brad Pitt with the, the sort of entourage of people. Mm. Well, it must be being touched all day yeah, and I know. like it's not normal, is it? No, no it's and, not. The, and how long has he been a huge star like that? Twenty years now? Yeah, yeah, maybe longer. 30, yeah, yeah. It's at it, some point you it, it's mm. the normal for you. But I've met on other sets um, people like Helen Mirren, absolutely lovely. And let's not go name checking and go, oh, I've met this person. Yeah. I'm just, you know, 1917 in there was absolutely lovely. And they were, they're just normal, they're just normal people doing their job. Do you, did you get a, a, a vibe when you're on the, the 1917 set with the cast that everyone knew that you were on something very special? Yes. Do you think that is, do you think depending on the project depends on some of the egos sometimes? Maybe. I think some maybe. people go, you know, this is a really mm. big deal. Everybody knew that this was going to be a very, very special film. Right. Just by having Roger Deakins doing cinematography, just because of who he is. Right. You knew it was going to be special. And then the last thing where Blake goes to the single tree, Mm. sorry, Schofield goes to the single tree, they did about the third take on that, and everybody on set was like, ah, because we were all watching it in the monitor tent going, right, put your jaws up off the floor now. It was just... 
unbelievable. What What was so unbelievable about it? Just the the way it was shot, um, uh, George's acting, the light. It was early evening. The sun was just going down. It was just absolutely put on. I think that was the one they used. I don't know. I think it was. It was just brilliant to watch. And so I, sort of a, a moment where you're in there and you're like, I'm what this is. I yeah. remember this from forever. Yes, yes. And when the first time they did that, that last charge over the trenches, I remember watching that for the first time going, oh my God. Yeah. This is going to be unbelievable. Amazing. So from 1917 to um, Blackadder the 4th, who did the the going over the top better? Was it Blackadder or or 1917? I think they're both as good. (laughs) (laughs) It's quite poignant, isn't it? It's very poignant. Blackadder goes forth. Um, Yeah, I loved that. I loved that series of Blackadder. Yeah. And as a military advisor watching Mm -hmm. that season... Oh, is brilliant. there things in there where you're like, that's a really niche joke? Yeah, well, like, that's really quite just, highbrow. Just, just the way they were, just, and they got the, the comedy and, the, uh, and I think the gallows humour exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. It's amazing. I love the um, Baldrick's uh, milk. I yeah, yeah, what yeah. He was using for milk, <laughs> yeah. spit or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we ran out of milk six yeah. months ago, yeah. sir. So. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah, I mean, so who knows what's around the corner for me? You know, COVID's obviously affected everything. Right, yeah, we should talk about that. My boss is, um, my mate Paul is working on a dinosaur film at the moment, I think. That was another question that I had sort of in, in my mind, was if you were, if someone said, we're going to do a Halo movie, mm. and it's all Starship Troopers, whatever yeah. they're on, five, it, it, six, whatever. Yeah. Do you step up then? Because you, 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 I guess your job then is to create continuity. Correct. Rather you, you, than... thing is, if you've got a soldier stood there with a weapon, they're always going to move in a certain way and do certain things. Yeah. If you've got somebody just going, it doesn't look good, does it? No. So you've got to make imbue the, 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 what it is to be a soldier onto these people, no matter what costume they're wearing and what weapons they're using. And you can sort of tell in real life who's ex-military... And who isn't, can't you? Yeah, well, it's funny. It's I was, I was chatting carry. to somebody. I was meeting somebody in town um, last week. And they went, it's funny. They said, I was, I, I was just following you. So I could, see, I could tell it was you a mile away because you were marching. <laughs> Even after all this time. Yeah. I went, really? She went, yeah, 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 yeah. Marching. Yeah, marching on, yeah. There's a, there is a walk, isn't there? Yeah, there's, there is, there's, yeah. there's certain ways some people carry themselves. Mm, mm. And you're like, oh, I think you probably... Yeah, it's funny. You never lose it, I don't think. It's, just, um, it's an interesting one. Because my boss has already been working on um, some futuristic thing. Right. Already, and he's got other futuristic things in the, in, in the, that, that'll be happening in the future, which are very exciting. I'd give my right arm to even have a day on one of those. Star Wars? I can't talk about it. It's, Star no, Wars? No, it's not. No. Star Trek? No. Better than all of that for me. Better than that? Yeah. Battleship Galactica. No. Nope. Starship. No. Nope. You can guess as much Stargate. as you want. I ain't going to say anything. SG <laughs> 10. Because it, I can't. I'm just challenging myself now. Yeah. How many of these series can I, can I think of? But uh, yeah, he's got some exciting projects. And if I can get involved, if he asks me to get involved in some of them, then that's great. Is it a Red Dwarf movie? No. <laughs> sorry, I was eating the mic a bit then. Sorry, I, got, <laughs> I was so into that. Though. Is it? Is it? Is it? 
Oh, amazing, amazing. So, so what is your so, so that scene with the with the tree in 1917? Yeah, is that your defining uh, memory? What's the most cherished memory you have of being on a set? Good question. It's the one that you think you know. I think that's that's the one for me. I have to say that uh, with George running along the trench line the explosions going off that's pretty special it's pretty up there watching that i've still got some footage on my phone of that that i've taken myself right um but uh just seeing that it's just like whoa seeing it firsthand powerful stuff mm-hmm. and it's in a, it's in a one take format which yeah. means that yeah. the camera never cuts away no and that's it's not a literal some films have been done haven't they very practically yeah, but it, it was done take. very very intelligently i can go through the whole film and go that was filmed in bovenden that was in glasgow that was in soldier plan da, 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 and i could tell you the whole film the the transitions are yes. seamless yeah it's incredible, isn't it? Mm. It's such an engrossing way to deliver a, a story, yeah. a narrative. And I think the favourite bit for me um, is is obviously that bit at the end, but seeing the guy, when I'm checking through the guys to make sure everybody's looking right and they're in correct position for the next take, is seeing the smiles on the extras' faces that they're really enjoying and, and loving being part of that film. That was that was another thing I was curious about as well, is, is, is what line do you straddle between being a sort of quasi-drill sergeant and a, um, you know, someone that understands that these people aren't military people. We um, have um, an ethos with, uh, within the uh, group that are with Paul, who, who I work for. No matter what job we're on, and because we've both been extras ourselves, and there's another guy who works for him as well, a guy called Spencer, very experienced guy, and me and him tend to do a lot of work for Paul. And it, the ethos imbued on uh, us is that when you're with extras, having been with yourself, when you get to lunch and they're tired, you make sure they eat first before you do, and then you eat with them. It's, it's leadership, isn't it? It's yeah. basic. Yeah. I, I, I was doing a job um, yeah, for the BBC in Liverpool about a year and a half ago, and they got fed lunch late and stuff and, uh, and I was handing out the meals and the, one of the extras said to me he said uh, are you not going to eat and I went because obviously the crew went up to base to get the nicer food because the crew get nicer food and I went oh no I'll make sure you guys are fed first and I'll just get one of these boxes and he said well that's the first time I've ever seen anybody do that so that's a really nice thing to hear goes a long way yeah it's morale as well, isn't it? Correct. I suppose when you're on, it doesn't matter if you're on a film set or actually, well, I guess war is different, isn't it? But whether you're on exercise, let's say, simulating it mm. within a, a real military yeah. setting yeah. or whether you're on a film set simulating yeah. this experience, yeah. the the fatigue, mm. um, the stress, the elements and the morale, they must they must be very similar yeah. at times. Yeah, it is. I mean, what we do is, is, is you know, is, is saying to these people that, we're not better than you. We're just employed to do a different job. So we're just the same as you, really. We're just just people. Right. You know, we're just maybe a bit more knowledgeable in something else, which is why we're, you know, training you to be a First World War soldier. And do you see, I, I guess, I guess it's probably quite rare, but do you see the same extras from project to project? I have done, yeah. And you go, hey, uh, yeah, yeah, Dave, yeah. what's yeah. up? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. is it like... Like a, like a, like a, There's two a good three guys. Yeah, two free guys on the first few weeks in the trenches in Bovingdon. 
because obviously it used to be London and South East based. There was two or three guys on there that were ext- we were extras on on Fury together. Right. I was like, oh, hello, mate. <laughs> Do you do you have a bond there because it's a it's a, a special it's a special kind of relationship, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of in, in in relationships that are forged in. I mean, I get you enjoy doing this. This is mm. why you do it, and you've mm. already said you don't mind roughing it a little bit. No. Um, but is there is there a part of it which is like? You have a bond with this person because you get it. You've gone through something with them. You've ran at the yeah. back of a tank for yeah. five hours a day. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that that you have got that bond. Just like, oh, do you remember that? Yeah, I, I've got a, a lasting memory. Um, after we did the the uh, in Fury, the, the the advance to the trenches, Ed is killing loads of Germans and rounding prisoners up and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and a lot of the time uh, there was a lot of standing around. Uh, it, the, 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 the tree line was um, peppered by um, uh, props with loads of stuff, and there's some fires and loads and loads of tins of food because we weren't getting fed very well. Me and Paul, I was like, let's go and see what's in the props. And I found loads of tomato soup, rice pudding. We cracked them <laughs> open and we were heating them over the fire. And me and Paul were doing that for a couple of days and gradually more and more people started just coming. And there was like there was like 30 guys there at one point. And it was like, um, Scott Eastwood was there, one of the, 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 the young actor. Right. Clint Eastwood's son, who was there. It was like, oh, that's just brilliant. <laughs> And it got broken up in I'm like, damn. Um, and then um, it was absolutely hacking it down and there was this German truck. Um, and uh, me and Paul were just sat in that with this, I mean, hacking it down, going, this is pretty shit, isn't it? <laughs> and it's a lasting memory for me, both sat there in GI's, you know, American infantry uniforms, going, when's, when's, when's Scoff? I don't know. <laughs> Thanks again to Julian for coming on the show. Check out some of the things we spoke about in the episode description show notes. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us a review. Follow me, Andy Rintmore, on Instagram at, at Andy underscore S1S. This podcast was produced by Harry Williams. Thanks again so much for joining us. Tune in for another episode of The Giant Pod next week.